Welcome to the JWRP Momentum Talks. Join us now for a journey into Jewish wisdom and inspiration. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm Lori Palatnik. I'm the founding director of the Jewish Women's Renaissance Project. Today we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. Okay. So if I asked you to name the Ten Commandments in order, would you be able to tell me that? You're <laughs> like putting your hand in your head. <laughs> no, Scott, 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 well, so can't do it. Okay. Not, you in can't, order. not in order. Do you think you could name, t- uh, how many of the Ten Commandments do you think you could name? Scott's like, maybe five. Maybe five. <laughs> maybe five. Okay, guess what? Guess what? It's okay. Don't feel bad because everybody does the same thing. Like, oh, the Ten Commandments. Okay. I'm going to teach you now the Ten Commandments in order, and you're always going to remember them, and you're going to be able to teach them to anybody, and you're going to impress people at parties. Okay? Got it? Okay. So... I'm going to teach you a mnemonic device to remember the Ten Commandments. Now, I know this is an audio CD, but I'm going to describe it, okay, for those of you sitting here with me, like I'll show you, but I'll describe it and you'll be able to get it. And then I'm going to go through and give you a brief description of each commandment and how this commandment uh, applies today, okay? This is not dusty Bible stories and men in robes walking through sand dunes. These actually apply today, okay? These are God's top ten. Got it? Okay, so the first commandment is, I am God. Doesn't sound like much of a commandment. It sounds like a statement. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Those are all commandments. Maimonides of the 12th century, the Rambam, says the commandment, I am God, is the commandment to know there is a God. And how do you remember it in our mnemonic device? One. It's the first commandment, and there's only one God. So the commandment is to know there is a God. How do we fulfill it? Well, first of all, you, the, the wording of it is very important. It's not to have faith and not to just believe. It's to know. How do you know anything in life? How do you know anything in life? How do you know your mother is your birth mother and you're not adopted? Unless you're adopted, Stephanie. <laughs> How do you know your mother? If I, you're in court and now you're put on the stand... Okay, how do we know? How do we know your mother is your birth mother? What's your evidence? DNA, DNA very good. So you went right to the heart of it. Because a lot of people go, I look like her. No, I don't. Oh, you don't look like her. Okay. <laughs> somebody said, I look like my mother. Well, I know somebody in Toronto. They adopted a baby boy from Romania. He could not look more like his father than if you cloned him. Okay. His adopted father. So um, I have a birth certificate. That's right. Certificates can never be forged. I have pictures. Okay. They adopted you as a baby. Of course, they have pictures of you as a baby. So people, but you got to the heart of it. DNA. That's evidence. To know there is a God means you should have evidence. How do I know there's a God? How do I know this is true? If your teachers tell you there is a God, if your parents tell you there's a God, that there is a God, if the rabbi tells you, if your grandparents tell you, okay, you're onto something. If these are people you tremendously respect, maybe there's something to it. But you must have your own personal journey. You have to have your own personal journey, no matter what kind of family you grew up in, to, to really know, to know there is a God. What is the historical, archaeological, empirical, spiritual evidence that there is a God? That's your journey. To know anything, you, it has to be active. You have to ask questions. If you're struggling with God or struggling with your relationship with God or struggling in your journey to know there is a God, 
you're doing the first of the Ten Commandments because knowledge is active. It's sometimes three steps forward, two steps back. It's questioning. It's grappling. If you to know physics, to know uh, to know geometry, to know history, to know to know anything, takes work and effort and struggle. So if you're struggling in your relationship with God, it's okay. You're doing the first of the Ten Commandments. Knowledge. Knowledge is everything. Okay, so the first of the Ten Commandments is to know there is a God, right? It's I am God, but it's to know there's a God. How do you remember? There's only one. Okay. So second commandment. Ready? Okay, two. Don't believe in other powers. There's not two. This is the commandment not to commit idolatry. All right? Not to believe in other powers, not to believe in other gods. There's not two. That's how you remember it. What is this? So there's a good chance that you don't have a statue in your house and you're bowing down to it. Scott, you're not bowing down to statues in your house, are you? No. No, that's good. Okay. So chances are you don't have a, a statue in your house and you're not bowing down to it. So you think like, I got this one down. Okay? I got this one down. I don't believe in other powers. But it says don't believe in other powers. You may not be bowing down to a statue, to another god, so to speak. But when you give power to things outside of God, you are transgressing this commandment. So first of all, there are people who definitely worship things outside of God, okay, and give power to them. Give me examples. In today's society. There's actually a TV show named after this. American Idol, okay? Like, we actually take people, the celebrity world that we have, we actually make these people and give them power and give them, and we, and we worship them, and we go through their garbage, you know, and write about it and what they eat and who they marry, and it's, it's unbelievable. It's a little bit crazy in our society that we created this world where celebrities are, or we're gaga for celebrities. Now, I hate to break the news to you, ladies. I hate to break the news to you, but Tom Cruise never thinks about you. Not for a moment. He really doesn't know you exist and doesn't care. And yet, we follow his life, his romances, his what he wears, what he does, his facial hair. It's like, it's like unbelievable how we are celebrity obsessed. And these people have a job, like everybody else has a job, but their job happens to be to pretend to be people they're not. And you go to a movie, and you walk out thinking, why can't my husband be like Tom Cruise, who is being paid to pretend he's so sensitive? <laughs> okay, do you understand? It's a little bit crazy. So we worship. We, we do worship things. We do give power to things, to people like celebrities, sports idols, right? That's why they're called idols, okay? So sports idols, um, politicians, uh, wealthy people, okay? We give we, we worship them. Uh, do you ever see a guy walk by like a sports car, like a Maserati or one of those? Like, like they're like drooling, okay? Like it's, it's unbelievable. They take an object and they're just like salivating over it. So we laugh about those things. But then there are things that we do give power to outside of God. And when we do, we're transgressing this commandment. For example, we give power to, to statistics. Not that you shouldn't have data and statistics when you're making decisions about things. But God runs the world and God can do anything. So when you say, well, chances are this can't happen, you're giving power to that. 
when you give power to the economy, when you give power to politicians. The, it says in Tanakh, the heart of a king is in the hands of Hashem, in the hands of God. That means that rulers of the world have less free will than we do. Because the Almighty, we vote them in, but the Almighty uses them to, to affect history. Do you understand? They have less free will than, than others. But we give power, like, oh, because he's there, or because, oh, my boss, or my, like, my, the, it's never going to happen for me because I was born into this. When you start giving powers to things outside of God, the mida connected mida, the measure for measure, is that God lets it have power over you. So if you give power, to statistics or people or uh, groups of people, then God says, oh, you think they have all the power? Fine, they'll have all the power over you. But when you say, okay, even though it doesn't look, the odds don't look good, or even though my boss is not so nice and I'll never get that, I believe that the Almighty can do anything. God says, oh, you think I've got all the power? Okay, let's go. Do you understand? So. The number one thing we give power to outside of God is ourselves. Oh, I could never do that. Oh, I'm not smart enough to do that. Oh, I'm just like not popular enough to do that. We think that we are either our strengths or weaknesses, that we have the power or the lack of, of the power to make things happen. Don't do that. God's got all the power. All right. So even so, the second of the Ten Commandments is don't believe in other powers. That means the Almighty runs the world. You know, there are people who are like, oh, I'm going to have a hard time marrying off my kids because we don't have money and or because we're this or we're that. Like you're giving power to shtick and to society like garbage, like just, you know, these these things that God's got all the power. OK, so whether you're looking for somebody to marry or you're trying to uh, get enough money together to buy a house or you're trying to get this job or you're imagining what you could possibly achieve in the world, it's really get out of God's way. Like get your stuff and your insecurities out of God's way and don't give them power. God's got all the power. That's the second of the Ten Commandments. Got it? Okay, number three. Number three is don't take God's name in vain. How do you remember it? Oh, my God. One, two, three. Okay, three words. All right? Don't take God's name in vain. So what does this mean? We often mess up this commandment um, and don't understand it. So if you um, stub your toe and you're like, oh, oh God, or you are hammering a, a nail into the wall and you miss the nail and you hammer your thumb and you swear and you invoke God's name, which is a big no-no, okay? So that you're taking God's name in vain. When you use God's name as an expression, oh God, you're using his name in vain. But when you are talking about God, you're allowed to say, thank God, please God, God willing. You can use his name. Do you understand? It's unbelievable, but the Jewish people are the people who are often the most uncomfortable talking about God. There was actually a cover story in Newsweek magazine many years ago called Talking to God. It was about prayer. It was the cover story. And it was so it was a picture of like the world, Earth, from space with little wings on the Earth. And it was on prayer. So, of course, I bought it. And the, the story inside, it was a number of reporters had put together all this data about prayer. 
do people pray? How often do they pray? Do they think that God ever answered their prayers? And they broke it down based on religions, gender, socioeconomic groups. It was very fascinating. Turns out even atheists pray, just in case. They said in the article, and you could laugh or you could cry, that it was surprising to them, of all the people surveyed, the people who are the most uncomfortable with God, the Jewish people. The Jewish people. The heaviest thing that anybody ever said in any class I've ever taught in the world happened in Denver, Colorado. I was teaching a Federation-sponsored class. Uh, it was called for a group called Stepping Stones, okay? So I remember uh, the woman who called me up, she said that um, she heard I was a speaker and would I come and speak for the series? And she explained that Stepping Stones is um, a program for intermarried couples, okay? A Jew marrying a non-Jew and their children. And they, every Sunday morning at this Reformed temple, people would come. The couples would have, the adults would have a class and they brought in different speakers from different, uh, different streams of Judaism. And a parallel program was going on for their kids. But the idea is to try to get this family to be on the same page and create a Jewish home. Got it? Okay. So I was like, okay, very nice. I'm happy to do it. So they booked me on a Sunday. And she said, what would you like to talk about? I said, well, listen, if this is a, uh, if this is, if everybody in the class has children, so I have actually a series that I teach called Jewish Values for Jewish Kids. Now, I'm not going to teach a series in one setting, but I could give like, sort of like a synopsis of it. Okay. Like a kind of a trailer for it. So she said, great. Okay. So now I go to the class. So in front of me, there's probably about 40 people, about 20 couples. And I start teaching about Jewish values for Jewish kids. And I do the value of tzedakah, of charity. And I do the value of honoring your parents. Okay. And I'm going through all these different values. And then, so half my brain was teaching the class. And the other half, as I'm looking out onto these couples, what am I trying to figure out? Who's Jewish and who's not Jewish? Okay. So some of them, it was obvious. Okay, um, guy who looks like he's from Brooklyn, girl from Shanghai. Okay, but some of the couples, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure who was a Jew and who wasn't a Jew. And this was just part of my entertainment as a speaker. Okay, because I'm just trying to figure it out. So I'm going through, and um, and I, I'm doing all these different different uh, values. And then I got to the value of God. I go now we're going to do the value of God. And I'm telling you, all the Jews leaned back away from me. And all the non-Jews leaned in. I'm teaching away. And there was a woman in the front row. She puts up her hand. And she goes, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. She said, I'm not Jewish and my husband's Jewish. And we're here in this program because we're, we're thinking about perhaps that our children, myself and my, and my children, should convert to Judaism. She goes, but it's a very, very heavy decision for me because I know that if we become Jewish, we have to leave God. So there's silence. And I said to everybody, is everybody listening to her? And I asked her, why do you say that? And I knew the answer, but I wanted them to hear it. She goes, because I grew up, we always talked about God. We always thank God. We always prayed to God. I met my husband. He's Jewish. He never talks about God. His Jewish friends never talk about God. His Jewish family never talks about God. So I know that if my children and I convert to Judaism, we have to leave God. She asked me, are there any other Jews like you? Are they only in Israel? What happened to us? God's chosen people and this objective non-Jew marrying into a Jewish family would say that being Jewish means you have to leave God? 
Why? Not because we're so careful not to use God's name in vain. Deep down, and sometimes it's very deep inside a Jew, under many layers, there's a Jewish soul. And that soul knows on a certain level that we have a heavy relationship with God. When we're God's chosen people, it doesn't mean we're better. This is not an elitist statement. We, some, we often back away from it because it sounds elitist. God's chosen people doesn't mean we're better. It doesn't mean we're smarter. It means we're chosen for a responsibility. Anybody here an oldest child? Are you the oldest child? No. So oldest child, ah, okay. So Scott, you're the oldest child in the family. When you're, did you, um, did you have more responsibility than your siblings? Yes. Did you have to be an example to your siblings? Yes. But did you have a special relationship with your parents because you were the first? Yes. That's the Jewish people. That's the Jewish people. God loves all the nations. But the Jewish people are like the oldest child. We do have a special relationship with God because, because we're the oldest, but it comes with responsibility, and we're supposed to be an example. We're supposed to be, it's called an or legoyim, a light unto the nations. We're supposed to be a moral beacon for the world. How are we doing? Not so good. We're a very dim light. If the world's going down in terms of values, it's our fault. We're the oldest child. My mother always says, thank goodness. Thank goodness the baby is healthy. Thank goodness the plane landed safely. Thank goodness. So one day I'm on the phone with her, and she's saying thank goodness about something. And I go, Mom, I, I couldn't stand anymore. I go, Mom, what are you thanking? She goes, what do you mean? I go, what are you thanking? She says, goodness. I go, what's goodness? She goes, God? Somebody says, thank goodness is thank God with embarrassment. You can say thank God. Jewish people are so uncomfortable with our relationship with God because if we go there, we know it's heavy, so we don't go there, that we can't even say his name. We say, thank goodness. What a coincidence. I was so lucky. There was, there's no such thing as chance, luck, or coincidence. Either, either life is random and it's chance and luck, or there's order and there's meaning and everything happens for a reason. You can't have it both ways. You don't say, I'm so lucky. Lucky means it's a chaotic world. It just happened to come together crazily at this time. Don't say, I'm so lucky. Say, I'm so blessed that God made this happen. And it, it wasn't luck. It wasn't chance. It wasn't coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. Everything is Yad Hashem, the hand of God. So I was uh, teaching this class in Toronto about, uh, about uh, not taking God's name in vain. And a woman put up her hand. She goes, can I share a story, a true story? I said, sure. So she said, I was driving carpool in my van. And all the kids, you know, the little kids, my, my daughter and her, her, her uh, friends were in the car. So did you ever, I don't know if you ever drove carpool and listened to little kids in the car. Like, they're so cute. Did you ever listen to teenagers? Don't do it. It's not so cute. Okay. So she's dropping off the kids. Now there's two kids left, her daughter and her daughter's friend. And they're playing a spelling game. I can spell cat, C-A-T, I can spell dog, D-O-G. And her friend says, I can spell God, G-O-D. And she freaked out, okay? She, her, her daughter, her daughter freaks out. Oh, you said his name, you said his name. 
and you can't say his name, especially here, especially here, you can't say his name. And the woman said, I said to my daughter, like, honey, what's wrong? She goes, she said his name, she said his name, and she can't say his name, especially here, especially here. She goes, where did you hear such a thing? She says, at the village shul, which is the outreach synagogue my husband and I built in Toronto. And when we built the synagogue, Outside, you know how you put the tablets of the Ten Commandments, like chiseled into the wall? So we did that. But we wrote them in English so people would know what they were, okay? She says, it says right outside the village shul, don't say God's name in van. <laughs> she said she almost went off the road, okay? When you say, thank God, please God, God willing, you're not using his name in vain. If you, if you are uncomfortable talking about God, your kids are going to be uncomfortable talking about God. They shouldn't just hear you invoke God's name when you're swearing because you hit your thumb with the hammer. Got it? Okay. So number three is don't take God's name in vain. Oh, my God. That's how you remember it. Got it? Okay, great. So number four. Number four is keep Shabbat. How do you remember it? What's on your Friday night table? Two candles, two challahs. Okay? Got it? Two candles, two challahs, four, keep Shabbat. So it's a whole discussion, and each one of these is really a class unto themselves. But the idea of Shabbat is it's a day you stop creating to recognize there's a creator. It's not a day that you stop working, because I work very hard on Shabbat, believe me. It would be a lot more, it would be a much better vacation to lie on the beach. It's a day we stop creating to recognize there's a creator, that we disconnect in order to connect, to remember that God runs the world. The Almighty wants us to be here and to be present. We are never here. We're always like, we're either in the past or in the future. We're running, we're going, we're, we're, kept, we're distracted. Shabbat is the day where God says, stop, cease, stop creating. Remember that I'm running the world. You don't have to run it anymore. You focus, count your blessings, connect to community, connect to family, connect to, connect to your spouse, connect to your children, connect to yourself. Just shut it down. The focus that we get on Shabbat, the sense of, of, of connection that we have is something that without it, we could, never, we could never just keep running the rest of the week. Like without stopping and without uh, having that oasis in time, it's easy to burn out. But it's not just to take a break. This is to remember that God runs the world. And it's a, it's a much larger discussion uh, to understand. But just to, to I'm just going to provide one story as an illustration for it. What's the difference if you wake up and it's Saturday morning or it's Shabbat and God runs the world? How does that change my life? I wake up, it's Saturday morning. Got my house, got my car, got my kids, got my life. Or you wake up and it's Shabbat and God created the world. I look around, got my house, got my car, got my kids, got my life. How does that change that I know that God created the world? Okay, so imagine I sent you, imagine um, it's your, when is your birthday? October 25th. Okay, so imagine it's October 25th and I sent you a, uh, I sent, you, you get a parcel in the mail, okay? And it says, happy birthday, Stephanie from Lori Palatnik, okay, Rockville, Maryland. How do you feel? Very happy. Very happy. Oh, my gosh. You remember it was my birthday. Okay. So you take out the – you unwrap the parcel, you know, from the post office paper, and inside is a springy bow with sparkles. How do you feel now? Super happy. Super awesome. Okay. So then you open up the box, and you see inside it's a beautiful sweater. How are we doing? 
extremely happy. Okay, it's getting even better. So you see, it's not just some Kmart special. It's a beautiful cashmere sweater. It's doing good, huh? Okay, you take out the sweater. You see there's a tag on the collar. And the tag says... Handmade by Lori. Whoa, unbelievable. It's totally unbelievable because I can't sew or knit, but I'll send you a book, okay? But imagine for the scenario, I actually remember it's your birthday and send it to you. Like, is this blow away? It's unbelievable. Okay, so now it's a cold night in October. Stephanie's going out to celebrate her birthday. She puts on the sweater that I sent her. She looks in the mirror. She looks marvelous. She goes on to the night. The whole night, people go, Stephanie, beautiful sweater. Where'd you get it? She goes, Lori Palatik, you know, she's that representative. I went here and speaking to you. And she made it. Look at the color. She's showing the tag on the color. Look, 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 look. She made it for me. The whole night, Stephanie, beautiful sweater. The whole night, Stephanie's telling the story about how Lori made me the sweater. Okay, this never happened, not just because I can't sew a knit. It's October 25th. It's a cold night. Stephanie's going out to celebrate her birthday with her friends. She looks in the closet for a sweater. She finds the exact same sweater, but the first scenario never happened. Do you ever find something in your closet and you don't know where you got it from? Like, did my sister leave this here? Like, was this last season? It's a girl thing. Okay. She, exact same sweater, first scenario never happened. She puts on the sweater. She looks in the mirror. She looks marvelous. She goes out to the night. Her friends, the whole night goes, Stephanie, beautiful sweater. Where'd you get it? She's like, you know what? I don't know. Just found it in my closet. Might be my sister's. The whole night, Stephanie, beautiful sweater. Where'd you get it? You're like, you know what? I don't know. In both scenarios, when Stephanie looks into the mirror, she looks exactly the same. And in terms of warmth, she feels exactly the same. But the pleasure that Stephanie gets from the first sweater, that I remembered her, that I handmade it out of love and sent to her, you can't compare it to the exact same sweater I just happened to find in my closet. So you can wake up, it's Saturday morning, got my house, got my car, got my kids, got my life. Or you wake up and it's Shabbat. Look around, got my house, got my car, got my kids, got my life. How does it different? It looks on the surface exactly the same. But when you know that God created the world, you realize, ah, oh, everything in my life is a gift from my creator. God says, don't remember Shabbat for me. This is for you. So that you'll realize that every child's smile, every dollar, every raindrop, every blade of grass is a gift from your creator. That's what Shabbat is all about. All right, so that was number four. And how do you remember it? Two candles, two chalas, okay? Four, okay, number five. Number five is honor your parents or they give you a patch with five fingers, okay? So honor your parents. All right, so honor your parents. It's interesting if you look at the commandments, okay? And that you imagine the two tablets. So the first five are the mitzvot, the commandments between you and God. The second are the commandments between you and man, between man and man, do you understand? So. Honor your parents. What side should they be on? It should really be on man-to-man, right? You and your parents. What's it doing on the other side? Bad editing job? Okay, obviously it's there for a reason. What's on your, what, why is honor your parents on the side of man-to-God? Do you have any ideas? Children are a gift from God. And... Children are a gift from God. Okay, I hear that. I hear that. Okay. So honor your parents. Your relationship with your parents. So first of all, is very much um, a, a paradigm relationship in terms of it, it sets the pattern for your relationship with God. We say, Avinu Malkeinu, our father, our king. We say God is our father in heaven. Now, God's not a man and God's not a woman, all right? God has many names, and some are male in connotation, some are female in connotation. There's, there's different aspects to it. 
but God's not a person. So we say he just to, it's easier to, in order to speak about it. So God's our father in heaven. So our relationship with God is like a child to a parent, very much. I didn't really appreciate this until I had my own kids, okay? So how do we understand when it's a parent-child relationship? So first of all, with parents, okay, your parents love, 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 love you, right? Okay. And when you mess up, do they go, well, you got your life, I got mine, moving on? No. You mess up, they still they, they still hang in there. They still love you. Isn't that unbelievable? So the Almighty tells us the right and wrong thing to do. And if we do the wrong thing, it's not, you got your life, I got mine, Okay. The Almighty loves us. God actually loves us more than our parents love us. He loves us more than we'll ever love our children. God gives us these relationships to give us an inkling of what it means that he loves us. Also, the, uh, the mitzvah to honor your parents really uh, in, in practice. So it, it, again, it, it, the mitzvah to honor your parents sets the sets the pace and and the uh, creates the relationship to understand in this world so that we understand the Almighty, uh, and because it's very it's not easy to understand your relationship with God, but when we there, there's no way for us to have a sense of awe and a sense of honor to God if we don't have it for our parents. All right, like God, our parents are kind of like God's representatives in this world. I saw a poster once that said, God can't be everywhere, so he created mothers, okay? So you see that just like God is the creator of the world, right? Our parents create us, all right? We come from our parents. And just as God is all loving and, uh, and only is in it for us, our parents, right, are all loving. They're only in it for us. My rabbi says, if you have children for what they're going to do for you, get an English butler. They're cheaper, okay? You quickly realize after you have a child, like, oh, my gosh, you're totally in it for them, all right? You only want what's good for them. God only wants what's good for us. And just like sometimes our parents have to come down on us because they love us. I'm not talking about abusive parents, God forbid, okay? I'm talking about parents who sometimes have to take away something, ground you, give you a potch, send you to your room. They're doing it because they care, because they love you. And so too the Almighty. We once had a, a neighbor in. We lived in Denver. In uh, where were we living? Oh, in Toronto. And we had a neighbor who was a child psychiatrist. Like I'm on the the street. My kids are playing. My neighbor is on the street playing, and I invited them for their Jewish family. Invited them for Shabbat. Turns out her husband is a child psychiatrist. Okay, so my husband uh, said to him, you know, I remember my kids were little at the time. So every time they did something, I was like, is that normal? Is that normal? Okay. So my husband said to him. What drives a kid to have to go to a psychiatrist? He says there are many factors, but the number one factor is when parents don't have rules and and uh, when when parents don't have rules and punishment and consequences. That's that's the number one thing that can mess up a kid. Isn't that unbelievable? So when you're a kid, you're thinking like Ugh, the last thing you want is rules and punishment. Okay, but a kid whose parents don't set limits, don't have bedtimes, don't have consequences. Those are parents who don't care, who don't care. If your kid is messing up, right, you, you come down on them because you love them and because you care, because you want them to be good people. The, if, if, uh, if a kid runs into the street and a car almost hits the kid, okay, but doesn't, and, a, and an adult runs into the street, grabs the kid and smacks the kid, who is that? The neighbor? No, it's the parent. It's the parent. 
so when the Almighty brings things into our life that are not comfortable, that hurt, that are getting our attention in ways that may be not so, not so pretty, we have to remember, again, this relationship. God is not uh, the Zadie, the grandfather on the throne, handing out candies, okay? We don't say he's our grandfather. He's our father. Grandfathers, people say, you know, I can't wait to be a grandmother, right? They, they said, being a grandchildren are your reward for not killing your teenagers, <laughs> okay? So, but it's, it's a fantastic role. Why? Because it's all fun and games and, and cute, and then you hand them back to the parents, and the parents do the, the dirty work, okay? Not just changing the diapers, but sometimes, like, you know, t- making a kid cry because you love them and you don't want them to mess up. But God is very practical. He doesn't say, honor your parents. Well, good luck, okay? So there's laws and rules and, 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 uh, and uh, guidelines for this, but that's, a, that's, that's for a further discussion, okay? Okay. Um, number six. Number six is a, sh- a six-shooter, okay? Right? That's what we call a gun, okay? Like in the Westerns, a six-shooter. So it's don't murder, Okay, six six shooter, don't murder. So how do we understand this? There's a big your so murder. It's very important that the term is murder and it's not kill. You are allowed to kill people, but you can't murder them. Murdering somebody is killing them when you're not allowed to, because there are times you're allowed to kill somebody. Give me an example. Self-defense. Yeah, you can kill somebody in self-defense. We're not the turn the other cheek people. We're the blow them away before they blow you away people, okay? Like if somebody comes at you with a gun, you're allowed to kill them before they kill you, okay? So in self-defense, you can kill somebody. So there are times where you are allowed to kill, but you can't murder. Now, you're all probably thinking like, okay, next. We're like, that's never going to happen. All right. So let me give you a more practical example. The Talmud says that when you embarrass somebody, it's like, killing them. It's like murder. That when you embarrass somebody, you, because when you, when you feel, if you ever feel embarrassed, you, you want to die. Okay. That's how you feel. You want to die. So you you have to be very careful with, with people's feelings and not to embarrass them. That includes children. Children are short people, okay, who look like you, but you can't embarrass them. You shouldn't discipline them in front of other people. You shouldn't embarrass them in front of you know, their peers or your peers, all right? You take them aside, be the, be a good parent, okay? Don't be a lazy parent and yell at them as they're running through the house. You take them aside and you talk to them. You don't embarrass them. Um, you're, there's, a, there's one of the laws of the Talmud is that you're not allowed to use a nickname of somebody. Like, I can't call you a nickname if you don't like it. Okay, I don't know if you were ever called a name when you were a kid or your siblings called you something that if it's something that you don't like, you're not you're literally you're forbidden from using that term to them. Okay, that uh, that you don't embarrass somebody. So also when it comes to murder, it says that um, there every time you speak lush and horror, which is gossip, every time you speak badly about somebody, it's triple murder. Three people die every time you speak badly about somebody who dies. Who's being killed? Who who dies? The person you're speaking about. The person you're speaking about. Yourself, you yourself. Right. The person speaking and. And whoever's listening. Yeah, the listener. Okay, so if you go through this little triangle, uh, let's imagine, like, how, what is, what does this mean? So let's do the easy one first. The person you're speaking about. Okay, in whose eyes are they being killed? 
and everybody listening, okay? They're out there bowling. They have no idea they're the topic of conversation, okay? But they, in everybody's eyes, they have been lowered. They have been killed in everybody's eyes. And did you ever go to ever like watch those courtroom dramas and the 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 witnesses put on the stand and the witness blurts something out and the prosec the prosec the the attorney from the other side stands up and says, I object. And the judge says, sustained. And he turns to the jury. And what does he say to the jury? The jury will disregard what the witness just said. And he turns to the court stenographer and says, This will be stricken from the record. Now the, the lawyer who put him on the stand, okay, on the other side, uh, is smiling smugly, and the witness is smiling smugly. Why? Right. You will disregard what the witness just said, okay? Somebody once ran up to me in Toronto and blurted out something before I could stop them about something, something terrible about somebody we both knew. It's been, oh my gosh, 18 years. It's been 18 years. And every time I think about the person they spoke about, every time I see the person they spoke about, every time I think about the person they spoke about, what's the first thing that comes to my mind? What they said. I can't get it out of my head. Somebody said that gossip is like a fired gun. Once you pull that trigger, someone's going to get hurt. Just try to put that bullet back in. Okay? So the person you're speaking about. So the person, also the person speaking is being killed. In whose eyes? Also the people listening, but is that really true? Stephanie, imagine like we're sitting around talking about somebody's marriage and, and all the dirty details of their upcoming divorce and their affairs. And I say to you, guess what I heard? What do you say? What? <laughs> exactly, okay? What do you mean I'm being killed in your eyes? I am the queen of this social moment. All eyes and ears are on me. But I am being killed in your eyes. If you're known as the person who has the dirt and lowdown on someone, and they don't call dirt and lowdown for nothing, are you going to be the type of person that people are going to come to and confide in, ask advice of, look up to? Every time we speak badly about somebody, we're committing slow social suicide. At the moment, you are the queen of this moment or the king of this moment, but really, you're going down. Do you ever go to a funeral? And the rabbi says about the departed, and she never had a bad word to say about anyone in her life. That's a life. Are they going to be able to say that about us? So the person killed most of all in our triangle of the person you're speaking about, the person speaking, the person who's killed most of all, who's the most guilty, who's the most culpable in God's eyes is the listener. But that doesn't seem so fair, does it? Why is the listener the most guilty? It should be the speaker. Why? Imagine uh, somebody goes into a bank with a gun to, and holds up the bank and gets the money. He runs outside and jumps into the getaway car. And who's, who's driving the getaway car? His friend, the accomplice, okay? If they're caught, they both go to jail. Why? The guy in the getaway car never went into the bank, never held up, the, never touched the gun, and maybe never even touched the money. But the crime would not happen if he was not there. No one's holding up a bank and getting on the metro, okay? Get, hopping on a bus, okay? You as the listener to gossip are the accomplice to the crime. And you as the listener have the most power to stop this. And if you don't stop it, you're the most guilty. 
So there's different methodologies on what to do. You can change the subject. You can walk away. You cannot believe them. You can judge the person to the good. You can change. It's not easy. But you have to understand that the listener is the listener is killed most of all in this scenario. So you as the listener have to have little tricks of the trade to try to. And if you're known as a person who never listens to Lush and Hora to gossip, no one's going to speak it around you. It's going to be no fun because you're clearly you're, – and there are certain people in life, you would never gossip around them. You, you would be ashamed. You would, there are certain people in life, and I, this is one of the – this is a great tool to use for when you're going to make choices and decisions in life. Life is choice. You made a thousand choices this morning, right? Should I wake up? Should I sleep in? Should I wear this, do this, eat this, be the uh, – like we make – life is choice. When you're going to make a choice, we all want to make the right choices. No one wants to make a wrong choice. So here's a great tool for my rabbi. You ready? Okay. Imagine um, right now, imagine in your mind somebody you tremendously respect. You got that person in your mind? Okay. Could be a parent, could be a grandparent, rabbi, whatever. Okay. Person you tremendously respect. Scott, you got them in your mind? Okay. Okay. So now when you're about to make a choice, and the person could be alive or dead, okay? When you're about to make a choice and you're not sure is this the right thing to do, beam down that person beside you in your mind and ask yourself, if that person was there standing right beside me, would I say this, wear this, be with that person, do this? And if the answer is no, that you'd be ashamed to do it in front of them, all the more we should be ashamed to do it in front of God. God brings extraordinary people into our life that we tremendously respect to give us an inkling of what it means to be in God's presence. Do you understand? We should all have a person like that. You never want to be in a situation where you're you're using language that uh, is inappropriate or saying jokes that are inappropriate or, and then you turn around and that somebody you respect or the person you were talking about is behind you. You're like, you want to die, okay? So this is something uh, to to have that sensitivity and awareness of. And to keep us, listen, we all have the, the part of us that just wants to be popular and who wants to say something to shock. And I have to tell you, if people around you use really bad language or say very you know, inappropriate jokes or gossip, we shouldn't ask ourselves what's wrong with them. We should ask ourselves what's wrong with me that they feel I'm the type of person who wants to hear this kind of stuff. So that was number six, okay? Don't murder, okay? Six shooter. Number seven. Number seven is the seven-year itch, don't commit adultery. Now, for those of you who are born (laughs) more recently and don't remember the Marilyn Monroe movie, The Seven-Year Itch, it's a movie about um, seven years into a marriage that a guy gets itchy and he starts thinking about having an affair. That's why it's called The Seven-Year Itch, okay? So... Because this is the commandment not to commit adultery. So how do you explain this to somebody who's younger? Or for sure, how do you explain it to kids? So this is what I do. Uh, so when I'm, when I'm talking to kids, I tell them that the number seven is the mitzvah that your parents should only love each other. And when they love each other, it's like heaven on earth. Seven, heaven. And they remember it, okay? Unbelievable, okay. But for, 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 for us, we're going to say the seven-year itch. Don't commit adultery. Now, the definition of adultery is when a uh, is when a married woman has relations with a man who is not 
her husband. Okay? That's adultery. When a married woman has relations with a man who's not her husband. Now, when a married man has relations with a woman who's not his wife, okay, if she's not married, it's not adultery. It's sexual immorality. It's completely wrong. And, it's compl- and he gets punished, and there's consequences, but it's not adultery. It doesn't make the top 10, okay? Why is it that a married woman and her transgression makes the top 10? In general, and I'm going to generalize because there are exceptions, in general, when you, unfortunately, we deal with a lot of people's lives and marriages, and in general, when a guy messes up, in a marriage, okay, and he has he messes up and he has uh, an affair. If it's not, if it's not emotional infidelity, but it's just physical infidelity, I'm gonna say just. It's still terrible and awful and like shameful and, and horrible, okay, and a trauma to a relationship. But if he's not in love, if it's not emotional infidelity and it's physical, right? He was going through a hard time in the marriage and he's on a business trip and he drinks too much and the girl at the bar, like, and something happens, okay? It's terrible and it's a mess up, okay? But if he's not in love, you can usually put it back together. If he's willing to be, like, uh, if, you know, obviously incredibly sorrowful and apologetic and 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 if the woman is, is like, a woman is not going to break up her family and get a divorce and mess up her children because he messed up one night. Do you understand? But if he's in love, that's a whole different story, okay? But if it's physical infidelity, not emotional infidelity, usually you could try to, you can basically put it back together, okay? But for the woman, if the woman is the one who messes up, whether it's physical infidelity, even if there's no emotional infidelity, it's very, 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 very hard to put this back together. Very hard. Um, why? So, and why is this make the top 10? Because when a woman falls, the family falls. If the family falls, the community falls. Like, if the communities fall, the Jewish people fall. If the guy falls, again, usually you can put it back together. And a woman is willing to put in the effort and the work and to understand how, again, as long as there's not emotional infidelity. But a woman is the the core, is the core of the family. She's the one who keeps the family together. She's the one where she's at is where the family is at. So if she falls, the family falls. If the guy falls and the woman doesn't fall, the woman is solid. Like, we can, you can, you can, you can fix it. I really, there are exceptions, but in general, that's the way it is, that the woman is held to a higher standard because if she falls, the whole society falls apart because she's it. It is the woman. She's, she's the one. She is the family. She is the community. It's the woman. Do you understand? Okay. It's not easy, not simple. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's number seven. Don't commit adultery. Um, number eight. Number eight, if you take the number eight and you turn it on its side, it looks like handcuffs. Don't steal. Okay? Don't steal. So did you rob a 7-Eleven lately? Okay. But did you ever steal something in your life? Yeah. What did you steal? I think when I was really little, I stole, like, some stickers from this art store. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I was, like, seven. Yeah. Everybody's got a story. Scott, you got a steal story? Yeah, so everybody's got something where like they stole something. So I once stole a nickel 
from my brother's on the top of his dresser. He had like a paper route and he, I, st I literally stole a nickel, okay? And I told my mother that I found it somewhere and I scratched it up to make it dirty. And I went to the store and I got like a, whatever, like it's called a Lola, like it's like a frozen uh, drink, okay? And I I remember later later on, my brother says to my mother, I added up my, my paper route money and I'm a nickel short. And my mother looks at me and doesn't say a word. She just looked at me. And she took a nickel out of her purse and gave it to my brother. She didn't have to say a word. I still to this day feel guilty. Okay, I feel awful. And you know how much change I used to throw onto my brother's dresser, like to try to make up for it over the year? Okay, so everybody's got a story, but it's like a kid's story, okay? Like very few of us listening are really stealing things, but maybe we are. If I go to your house and... Um, your whatever you say like oh I got to go to the bank or something I'll be back in a few minutes and I need to write something down so I take a pen your pen and I write something down and I take a piece of paper whatever put it in my pocket whatever put the pen back the Taurus is that stealing why what is what's the big deal it's just a pen it's just a little bit of ink okay right it's just a piece of paper like what we do okay if she was there you would ask her and of course she would say it's fine okay but you didn't ask you didn't ask now, we know that going into a, taking a gun and going to a 7-Eleven is stealing. So you're going to say, okay, but the pen, okay, and the paper, that's not stealing. But I did take something and didn't ask permission. At what point when you go down from the gun in the 7-Eleven to the paper and the pen, at what point is it stealing, okay? So the Torah says it's all stealing. Now, obviously, one is more severe than the other and the consequences and everything. It's still stealing. One thing when, when I have a guest who sleeps over, if a guest comes and they're sleeping in my home, I always tell them, please help yourself to anything. You don't even have to ask. Just help. My house is your house. The shampoo in the shower, the soap, the just like help yourself in the fridge. Like you don't have to ask. Just my everything's. Why do I say that? Not just so that I'm friendly and nice and make them feel comfortable. I, I don't want them to steal. Okay. Even though they're not thinking they're stealing, right? They're. I want them to be in a situation where I've given blanket permission, where you can just, my house is your house, okay? And you think like, well, what's the big deal? This is nothing or whatever. I'm sure people, hotels, okay? Even though we're all talking about kitty things. How many people, have you ever taken anything from a hotel that maybe you shouldn't or I don't know? I always see like, I was just in a hotel and there was like a dryer. It's not attached to anything, okay? So I'm thinking, I bet you some people steal this stuff, okay? But hopefully, you know, they charge them, they catch them, but I or they... We're paying for our hotel bill to take into consideration that some people steal things. But I would feel so awful and so busy. I, I don't understand people. How can you look yourself in the, like I, I've been, has anybody ever stolen from you? I've been robbed before. Like my wallet, I've, my wallet has, I've, I, my, somebody stole my wallet at least twice that I can remember. And once it was like my passport and my green card, everything was like, uh, it was a nightmare. So I just don't understand people who like steal things and then look themselves in the mirror and think they're a good person. <laughs> so everybody justifies it. Like, whoa, society has really gotten me down. And or I don't know. Listen, if somebody really needs to feed their kids, that's one thing. But it's really but people do people, you know, steal the sensitivity that I have to ask permission that this isn't mine. If you walk by it's, it's you know, in the time of Noah, you know, the time of Noah. So there was tremendous corruption in the world when God destroyed the world with the flood. There's tremendous corruption. It said there was sexual immorality. There was uh, terrible things going on. 
There was idol worship. But God was still waiting for the Jewish people to get their act together. And the people, I mean, they weren't Jewish people, the the people of the world. He was trying to get the people of the world to get their act together, get their act together. But then there was, it said there was one thing they did that put him over, his red line, okay? God has certain red lines. He's kind of like your parents, okay? They're patient and forgiving and patient and forgiving. But if you do this, like, you're out of it, okay? You swear at your mother or something, like, your father's going to come down on you. Do you understand? There's certain, everybody's got a red line. So what was God's red line? It says there were there was petty thievery. Petty thievery. That means there was nobody with a gun going in and 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 you know and stealing from the store. It meant that somebody was walking by the fruit stand, took a grape and popped it into their mouth and kept walking. That's God's red line. <laughs> okay, like there was idolatry and there's and there's and there's sexual morality and the grape is his red line. What does it mean? It means that society had, had broken down to the point where people didn't care about each other. It was like, what's a grape? It was so small that it didn't even benefit the person who took it. And it's so small that the person who owns the stand is not going to bother prosecuting. Do you understand? It doesn't even benefit people. At least if somebody's like, their kids, you know, don't have food, okay? Like, like, I, like, like steal from me, okay? Like I want your kids to have food. Do you understand? It's like there was a reason. There was a benefit. Like people, there was a real benefit to it. There wasn't even a benefit. It was just petty thievery. It was for nothing. It's kind of like you have siblings, right? You're a sister, right? Do you ever like be in a car, the car, you're in the back seat and your kids and you're just teasing for nothing, like nudging them and just like doing things that you know is going to make them cry and make them mad and just like, te- like that's the way, that's, and parents hate that. What are you doing? Why are you causing your pain? For nothing. You're not even getting anything out of it. You're just, it's like a pleasure to cause you pain. That's God's red line. God's like, I didn't create you so that you would cause each other pain. I didn't create you that you wouldn't be sensitive to each other and you just do things because it doesn't even benefit you. You don't even care. That's not why I created this world. You're out of here. He like destroyed the world. We're going to start again. Do you understand? So the... Part of stealing is you have to give benefit where you have to give credit where credit is due. That if I say to you this mnemonic device, the Ten Commandments, it sounds I'm so clever, but I need to tell you that Serge Hershkovich, who was a lawyer in Denver, Colorado, I saw him give this mnemonic device. I've changed it a little bit, adjusted it, but he gave this mnemonic device to remember the Ten Commandments. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I remember the Ten Commandments. I need to tell you that I got this from Serge Hershkovich, that I didn't make this up myself. Otherwise, I'm stealing. Do you understand? Okay. And in and in law, in common law, like in 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 your state, you can steal ideas, not just goods. Okay, you can't steal an idea. There's intellectual property. Okay, so the same with so when you quote something or you do something, people go like, "Wow, you're so smart. You're so great. You're so this." You should give credit where credit is due. Oh, my mom taught me this. Okay. Okay. Uh, number nine. Number nine is a false six. That's how you remember not to give false testimony, okay? That's number nine. Number nine is not to give false testimony. It means don't lie. So number nine is a false six. Don't give false testimony. Don't lie. It says says in Kabbalah that when God signs his name, he signs it emet. He signs it truth. Now, God doesn't have a pen and God doesn't have a hand, but what is this teaching us? It means it's a very, 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 very important value not to lie. You are never allowed to lie except under three conditions. 
And I'm quickly going to give you those three conditions. And be very careful with the conditions I give you. Don't rationalize them away. The co-author of my last book, Bob Berg, he says, rationalize are rational lies. Okay? So don't take what I'm about to give you and rationalize lying. These are three areas where there are times where it it is better to lie. All right. What are those areas? Number one, for shalom bias, for shalom bayit, for peace in the house, for peace between people, that people's feelings are even more important than truth. I'll give you an example. Um, oh, imagine, imagine um, I've redecorated my home and now you've come over, okay? You walk in and you're just nauseous being in the foyer, okay? It's, it's early Howard Johnson's. It's orange and purple, okay? Like you're like, and I say to you, Stephanie, what do you think? Tell me the truth. Tell me what you think. What do you think? Tell me the truth. What would you say? It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's I gorgeous. I <laughs> like when you're done with it. Okay. What else could somebody say? It's an interesting look. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so those are the two schools of thought that the Talmud has. Okay. Uh, this is the story in the Talmud. The Talmud uh, tells the story of, of a man who travels to his friend's wedding. He gets to the wedding. And he peeks in at the bride's room. And, he, and how can I we describe the way the bride looks? She has a good personality, okay? By anybody's stretch of imagination, this is not an attractive girl. And he's kind of surprised. His friend's a good-looking guy. He goes to his friend. His friend goes, oh, thank you so much for coming to my wedding. Did you see my bride? Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she beautiful? Tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. There's two schools of thought of what the Talmud says what you should say. The school of Shammai says you should pick something that's kind of true and build on that. Oh, she looks so strong. You're never going to have to haul water from the river. You lucky guy, you, okay? The school of Hillel says, you lie. She's beautiful. She's stunning. You lucky guy, you. And we rule by the house of Hillel. So the two uh, responses to the decoration, when you said what the first one was, your instinctive was, go with Hillel. It's gorgeous. But then there's the other part that says, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> it's you, okay? There's way that you're kind of like, it's, that's kind of like Shammai, okay? It's, you know, you're saying the same, but you're saying you're, 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 you're saying something that's true. It's you, as in you have bad taste, okay? But you're trying, do you understand? But the school of Hillel says, no, you lie. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. She's lucky. Why? Because when people are asking for your opinion, most of the time, they're not asking for your opinion. What are they asking for? For validation, okay? For affirmation. How do you like my haircut? What do you think? What do you think? What, I'm going to glue it back if you don't like it, okay? If I really wanted your opinion about my decoration, when would I have asked you? Exactly. Before I decorated, I would bring you my swatches and everything and colors. Do you understand? If he wanted your opinion about his bride, when would he have asked you? Before he got engaged. When people are asking for your opinion, they're not. They're asking for validation. Give it to them. But next time they're going to redecorate or get a new haircut, you could suggest your decorator or your hairdresser. But once it's a done deal, what are you doing? My husband tells guys, again, for peace between people, one of the pieces of marital advice he gives them is that when your wife asks you, do I look fat in this? The answer is always no. (laughs) 
you, she has a best girlfriend to tell her, you look a little hippie in this. This is not, a, you know, okay? But you're not the man to say, you look fat in this, okay? Somebody said, never ask your children, do I look fat in this? Because children are very honest. They'll go, they'll say, you, know, you ask them, like, does this dress make me look fat? No, mommy, your fat makes you look fat, <laughs> okay? So, so there are times to not say the truth for the sake of peace. But the only thing you can get out of it is peace. If you buy a dress and you come home and your husband asks you, how much did that dress cost? You're thinking, oh, I could lie, right? Because if I tell him what it really costs, he's going to blow his stack. So I'll lie. But in that case, you're not allowed to lie. Why? Because you're not just getting peace. You're getting a dress. Do you understand? My mother taught me this, that when you, well, when I was a little girl, we came out of a restaurant and there was a parking ticket on, it was for $5 back then, okay? It was on the dash, $5. She plucked it off the dash and she said, off the windshield, and she said to me, she turned to me and said, don't tell your father. Why? Because my father would just like be very upset over the $5 ticket and she's just going to pay the ticket, okay? The only thing she's getting out of it is peace. She's not getting anything else. Do you understand? Okay. So that number one, you can lie for, for peace, for shalom bias. Number two, you can lie for humility, for humility. I heard you ran that school fundraiser all by yourself. And guess what? You ran that school fundraiser all by yourself. You could say, no, I didn't. No, I was just one of a, a, a we were a whole team, a whole committee. Even though they were listed there, you ran that school fundraiser all by yourself. You know what you did. And God knows what you did. Nobody else has to know what you did. Humility is considered to be the number one quality a person could have of all the character traits. But you'll never see Time Magazine's humblest man of the year. Really, society today doesn't revere humility. They revere the opposite, arrogance, right? The sports stars and the politicians and the movie stars. But humility, don't be mistaken, humility is not I'm nothing. Because when we think about, if I told you the humblest man, you know, in, in Maryland is, is coming to, uh, to meet you today, you would imagine, like, he'd knock on the door very quietly. He'd sit at the back. i go, no, 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 come meet her. I want you to meet the humblest man in Maryland. He'd speak very quietly. It says Moses was the humblest man who ever lived. Moses. You think Moses went up to Pharaoh and said, excuse me, Mr. Pharaoh, if it's not too much trouble, could you please let my people go? But only if it's not too much trouble. No, let my people go. Moses, leaving Egypt, splitting of the sea, victory in war. Moses was the humblest man who ever lived. Humility is not I'm nothing. Humility is I'm something, but I know the source of it. It's all God. It's all the Almighty. Do you understand? Okay. The third time you're allowed to lie, you're allowed to lie for privacy. Your life is not an open book. I heard you got a $10,562 raise. And guess what? You got a $10,562 raise. You could say, no, I didn't. Why? Because it's none of their business. But if the IRS asks you, did you get a $10,562 raise? That is their business. Do you understand? All right. So... So you're, you, you know, somebody asks you, like you're, you, let's say you're six weeks pregnant and they go, hey, you look kind of, you're, are you pregnant? And you're not announcing it. You could say, no, I'm not. 
because it really is none of their business. Now, be very careful if your mother-in-law asks you if you're pregnant and you say, don't tell her it's none of her business. <laughs> That's for sure. But uh, but if you're not announcing, you could say, and then later on you could explain, you know what, we weren't announcing yet and we were concerned or whatever it is. But you, your life is not an open book, right? You, you don't have to tell everybody everything. You're allowed to lie for privacy, right, for your personal dignity. That was number nine. Number nine is a false six. Don't. Um, don't give false testimony. Don't lie, except under those three conditions. Number 10. So you picture 10 fingers and and reach out with your, those 10 fingers, okay? 10 fingers is, uh, number 10 is don't covet. Don't desire what somebody else has. Now, number 10 is not don't steal. We already did, don't steal. What, what was number, how do you know which one was steal? The eighth, very good, because you put the eight. There, you're getting it. It's the handcuffs, okay? This is not taking some. This is actually commanding an emotion. This is don't desire what somebody else has. Don't envy. Don't have jealousy and don't envy what somebody else has. Why is this number 10? Why is this the cleanup commandment, okay? You end strong. Why do we end with this one? Because when you desire what somebody else has, what are you saying to God? Clearly, you've made a mistake. That should have been my house, my degree, my child, my bank account. Do you understand? When you envy what somebody else has, you're telling the Almighty, clearly you made a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. And if you do envy what somebody else has, number 10, that could lead to transgressing all of the other commandments. Speaking badly about people, stealing from them. Okay, um, people can be killed for that. Okay, people are 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 routinely killed in order for somebody to have uh, what they have. They're definitely you're you're exiting God out. Okay, because you like you think it's God's made a mistake and you're in charge and you run the world. Do you understand how number ten could lead to all the others? Gen- all right. So let's review our ten commandments. Okay, number one. To one is, I am God, to know there is a God. How do you remember? There's only one. Number two, don't believe in other powers. No idolatry. There's not two. Number three, don't take God's name in vain. Oh, my God. Okay? One, two, three. Number four, keep Shabbat. What's on your Friday night table? Two challahs, two candles. Number four, keep Shabbat. Number five, honor your parents or they give you a patch. Okay. Number six is a six shooter. Don't murder. Number seven, the seven year itch or seven heaven. And that is don't commit adultery. Number eight, you put on its side handcuffs. Don't steal. Number nine is a false six. Don't give false testimony. Don't lie. Number 10 with 10 fingers. Don't desire what somebody else has. Don't covet. 10 commandments. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the JWRP Momentum Talks. We hope that you have been inspired as you continue on your Jewish journey. Visit us online at jwrp.org 